Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Morning Punch and Show with RBNJ live and direct for more cities than an Instagram model's bio. Get ready for some boxing talk on the clock. Let's face it, you're not working, and somebody's got to pay for the Wi-Fi. Good morning, everybody. It is RBNJ. This is the Morning Punch and Show, the most unpredictable, unscripted, but always real morning boxing talk show in the game. Today's Monday, September 18, 2017. On the, our guest today on the Hotline Bling is the one and only Teddy Atlas. We are so hyped that we have Teddy Atlas on the show today. Let me properly introduce my partner in crime, the creator and founder of BadCulture.net, Contributor for BlackSportsOnline.com, Jay LaBeouf. What's good, Jay? What's good, RB? I miss you. I'm glad we got to be this together for for once during a fight weekend and having a good time. But I am excited to be back home, to be on the show, to talk to Teddy Atlas, to talk about the good things about the fight, the bad things about the judging, and all that's going on, and hearing from you, the listeners, because I know you got a lot to say, and we do too. So we're looking forward to hearing that this morning. No hot question, obviously, because the hot question on everybody's lips is, what do we do about this scoring in the fight? So we'll tackle that as the show goes on. Back to you, Arby. All right. Um, It's just so ironic that, you know, yesterday Jay was like, you know, how great would it be if we had Teddy Atlas on the show today? And next thing you know, a, a phone call was made and boom, we got Teddy Atlas. So, uh, turn your volumes down a little bit because, you know, he can get a little hype, a little loud. Um, we do want to try to squeeze in some Know It or Blow It, which is brought to you by TheBoxingInsider.com. Today's prize is a boxing glove signed by Mike Tyson. Our caller didn't win it last week, so we're going to try to give that away again today. The number is 718-508-9852. Press 1. Um, okay, big store, big show in store why don't we take a quick commercial break, Jay, before we get into recapping the big fight weekend, and we're going to bring on Jake Donovan. He's going to join us a little earlier this morning, um, and we're also going to get some good Jake's take. We'll be right back. For all the latest news, interviews, and boxing schedules, visit BoxingInsider.com, providing readers with everything from the latest fight schedules to interviews with your favorite boxers. BoxingInsider.com has you covered from top to bottom. BoxingInsider.com is looking for new writers. Think you have what it takes to join the team? Submit your articles to our team at info at BoxingInsider.com. Visit BoxingInsider.com today, the only boxing website where you become the fifth man in the corner. When the mind is ready, the body prepares for war. So next time you engage in battle, protect your hands with the best. War Tape, the original branded tape. Order yours now at wartapebrand.com and see why the enemy will fear you. Wartapebrand.com. We put hands on you. All right. We are back, Jay. We were in Vegas. We had so much fun. It was the um, Raging Bay brunch as well. We ordered, we uh, honored Jill Diamond. Wow, I need some coffee. My words are being all twisted all over the place. Um, 
Anyway, big fight weekend. Uh, Jay, let's take it back to the weigh-in. Let's open up at the weigh-in on Friday, Canelo Golovkin. There were, I don't know, thousands, probably over 10,000 screaming fans there. And it was pretty obvious that the fans were split. I mean, there was a ton of Mexicans there, but there were also a ton of Golovkin fans there. Um, There was something at the scale that caught my attention. Did anyone else realize the way that Canelo jumped on that scale and he jumped off? And Abel Sanchez and Tom Loeffler were like six feet away. I don't even know if they looked at the scale. I, I don't, it was the weirdest thing to me because anybody else who jumped on that scale, it kind of took a while, you know, to balance it out. Um, so that was a little suspect to me. Did you catch that, Jay? Yeah. You know, I'm so accustomed to seeing everybody bent down and looking so close to the scale at every ounce and every inch and every pound that it was funny. It, it, they just barely even glanced at it like, eh. Canelo jumped up there. They looked at it. The uh, commissioner looked at it. Canelo flexed, he was out. I didn't able I didn't see able anywhere near the scales. Um I saw Tom kind of glance at the scale, but I guess they were secure with what uh Canelo was gonna do up there. But yeah, nobody was really hawking the scale super duper close. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So anyway, so everybody made weight, okay, everything was good. Why don't we you know what, Jay, why don't we bring on Jake Donovan right now? Um and let's get into fight recapping and get his take on some things that went down on Saturday fight night. You're rocking with the morning punching show with RB and J, and now it's time for Jake's take. As always, Clay gets it right, especially this weekend. Yes, he does. Good morning, Jake, from Park Good. Unknown. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Good morning, RB. Good morning, Jay. Morning. What's good? Let's 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 get into where should we start, Jakey? Shall we uh, go over what you have for Jake's take? Why don't you uh, Why don't you lead us into what's on your mind this morning for Jake's take? I, I mean, it's it's one of those weekends you just don't know where to begin. Um, I, you know, we could always just start with the positive that came with the event. Um, it was a fight that everybody wanted. It was a fight everybody got, and it was a very good fight. Um, Canelo and uh, especially Gennady both did their best to deliver on that front, and I think they did. I think it got a little overhyped with people calling it epic and an instant classic, but as far as big events go, it was a very entertaining fight, and that's what you want in a pay-per-view event. When people were spending, for this one, they were spending $80 for the pay-per-view. You want to get your money's worth. And if all you bought it for was the main event, then I, I'd like to believe you got your money's worth. So I, I thought that was very good. They both fought uh, nobly. Uh, they, they both seemed like the fight was at stake. At least Canelo did in the end. You know, he, he went out and he actually won the 12th round. That, that seems to be one of the few consensus rounds that he won. You know, if the fight right. was on the table, he made sure that he didn't blow it. And he didn't, you know. It was, you know, maybe he knew where the judges were at that point. He knew he just had to pull that one out to do it. But, um so I, I admired that uh, Gennady, he's not at his best anymore. I think we've seen the very best of Gennady. My personal opinion was the optimal prime of Gennady Golovkin was his win over David Lemieux. It's been somewhat of a decline. He only had two fights in 2016. I think that kind of hurt him. He was always active. So for this fight, I noticed he tried to fight, you know, three minutes of every round. But he really, you know, this was a laboring effort. You know, with Daniel Jacobs, he had a dig deep. He got the win. This one, he had to dig even deeper. It's like you're kind of worried about what's going to come of Gennady Golovkin in 2018. 
So if it's going to be a decline, you know, you want this to be his last hurrah, and he should have gotten the win out of it. I mean, I personally had it a draw, but the consensus was that Gennady Golovkin won the fight. And, you know, reviewing the fight a couple of times, you have to agree with that stance. So, but, you know, let's look at look at some of the quotes that they had following the post fight. You know, there was so much animus, not animus per se, but some trash talk between the two camps uh, leading up to the fight. So I expected some explosive reactions from them, not just in the ring, but just in the things they said. But a couple of the post fight comments, uh, Canelo post fight said, I thought I won the fight. I was superior inside the ring. I won at least seven, eight of the rounds. I was able to counter punch and even make Gennady glove can wobble a couple of times it's up to the people if we fight again i feel frustrated over this draw where Golovkin says it is a big drama show i want to thank all my fans i want to thank all my kazakhstan fans for supporting me for coming out of course i want to rematch this was a real fight look i still have all the belts i'm still the champion so starting with canelo's post fight notes seven or eight rounds (laughs) Which round, other than the final round that we, I think the masses can concede 100%, no matter how you looked at the fight or who you were rooting for, that he won the final round, like you said. Which round do you think Canelo won uh, decisively? Okay, I'll start with my own scorecard. I actually had six rounds circled that I considered to be swing rounds, because there were a lot of close rounds. You know, even the rounds Gennady Mm -hmm. won, he didn't win them definitively. I thought Canelo undoubtedly won round two. In my opinion, he won round three. Maybe it was not universal, but, uh, you know, in my opinion, he won it. He, uh, my card, I gave him round five. I gave him round eight. Uh, 11 and 12, I thought he won clearly, especially 12. But two, three, and 12 were the rounds that, like, you can't change my mind on those. He absolutely won those rounds. Five and eight, eight. if you want to argue with – yeah. Right. And then there's a bunch of rounds where you could – the one round uh, with – Gennady, there were several rounds that he won clearly, but the one round he did win clearly was round seven. And, you know, we're going to get into this with, you know, judging the judges, but that's the smoking gun for, you know, people want to, you know, theorize that this fight, you know, the judges, you know, were determined to make Canelo win or at least not lose. We're going to examine round seven, and I don't know how Gennady did not win that round on all three scorecards. Right. But he right. Won, um, I thought he won round four clearly because, uh, you know, Canelo, I thought he had a nice little thought because Gennady started slow, almost it seemed like he knew he couldn't go three minutes for 12 rounds. So he fought as much mm-hmm. as he could for the first three rounds, then really started to pick it up in round four. I uh, gave him round six. I thought that was pretty clear that he won. And round seven. I thought round seven was his very best round of the fight. From there, it was, you know, you could basically you know, flip a coin. There were some rounds that Gennady won a little bit more than Canelo. Some rounds, you know, Canelo won a little bit more than Gennady. And then other rounds, it was just, you know, up for grabs. And, you know, people were screaming robbery, but they're not taking into consideration, you know, if – you don't think there were close rounds in this fight, then you don't have the right to say this fight was a robbery. So right. that's the, right. that's the problem with a fight like this. But um, anyway, so to answer your question, they're the rounds that I thought uh, Canelo won. A couple of them you can change my mind on, which would make my scorecard 116-112, which seemed to be pretty close to the consensus for how people thought the fight was, that, that Gennady won seven rounds to five or eight rounds to four. I haven't had a chance to rewatch the fight since I've been back home, I definitely have to sit down and take some time in the silence without any other interferences. I might even make my kid watch it with me just to get a totally different perspective of a person who doesn't really watch fights like that, just to see what she says, if I can get her to sit still that long. But what did you think, when you look at the stylistics of the fight, what did you think of Canelo's tactic of spending so much time on the ropes? Was it a direct result 
of Golovkin walking him down, or do you feel like he was trying to preserve strength? What do you think? I'm not accustomed to seeing Canelo on the ropes like that. What did you think about that? You know, I've done my best to avoid arguments with people, especially on Twitter. Actually, for the fight, I didn't even go on Twitter. And I was going to bring that up with, you know, people and their scorecards. The, you know, in press row especially, your job is to file on deadline. So your main focus isn't necessarily scoring a fight. But you're trying to do that. Right. You're focusing on what's right. You're focusing on scoring the rounds. And then you're getting on Twitter and letting everybody know what you thought. So your 100% focus isn't on scoring the fight. I actually spent this fight just watching the fight and then each round writing down who I thought won without tweeting in between rounds. I didn't get on Twitter until the very end of the fight. So, I mean, that fresh eyes to second, you need that. And then when you're so angry about a decision, you can't go right back to the fight and, you know, rewatch it and say, oh, I just watched it. I can only give Canelo one more round. It's like you need to take a couple of days. Take it to, any, with any big event. You know, enjoy the event. Take a deep breath. Look at it with fresh eyes, you know, two, three, maybe even a week later when they replay it, you know, and then just watch it from a different perspective. What I do, I watch a fight. I score it. When it's controversial like Andre Wood and Sergey Kovalev, I watch the fight from – Kovalev's perspective, because that was the fighter that everyone thought won the fight. Then I watch it from Ward's perspective, and then I rewatch it. So I, I wound up watching the fight a fourth time. You really got to watch it thoroughly, especially you know before you start screaming Robert. I agree. I, I'm not. I'm not with the robbery. I don't think it was a robbery. No. The draw was not the outcome that I would have expected, but it was a close fight. It was a good fight. It was a competitive fight, and the robbery that that's just too much. I think people use that term a little bit. Too freely, RB, you were there. You were in the arena. What were your thoughts on the the merits of the fight, the closeness, the tactics? Jump back in with us. Well, you know, I thought we got a lot out of the fight, and and what I don't want to do is I don't want to keep bashing the fight right. because of the judging. You know, I want to make sure that we give the fighters their respect. Canelo and Golovkin gave us a really really good fight. I'm not going to say it was a great fight, so let's not get carried away. It was a really good fight. There was a lot of back and forth. There was moments there where we were turning into a battle. We saw action. We saw a lot of good boxing skills. We had drama. You know, those two guys really gave it their all, and they left it all in the ring. And after the fight, they both showed really great sportsmanship. You know, they hugged each other. They respected each other. And, you know, that felt good. Before the scorecards were read, we all felt good. We were like, oh, shit, like, what a good fight, you know, like, oh. And then I think in the back of everyone's mind, we said, man, we hope the judges get it right. And that's a shame that we're so used to that. Like, it's a shame that we had to say, damn, we hope they get it right. Now, I thought Golovkin won the fight. I had it 116 to 112. But if Canelo got the benefit of every close round, and in Vegas, that's definitely you know possible where some of those swing rounds and the close rounds, they probably did score it for Canelo. Um, so I could see the draw. You know, I could see the other score of 115 to 113. I'm not screaming robbery, you know. But, yeah, it was disappointing, you know, especially when you saw the look on Golovkin's face, especially at the post-fight press conference when he was trying to be so graceful. But you could tell that he was so hurt. Like, his soul... You could, just, you could tell he was hurting. Um, so that's kind of what sucked about it. But the fight itself, you know, was, was good. You know, they gave us a little bit of a drama show. Both fighters feel like they won. Both fighters said that they want a rematch. Now, uh, what we do know, and we were going to save this to word on the curb, but I'm going to go ahead and put this out there now. What we do know is that per the contract, you know, there is a rematch clause. 
And from what we understand, Golovkin can fight before the rematch if Canelo chooses to do a rematch. So Canelo said, look, I'm out until May. Um, so, you know, I'll talk to you all later. I'll let you know if I want to do this. Well, Golovkin still has his respective titles. He can actually fight before May. So if he wants to go fight Billy Joe Saunders or anyone else, he is allowed to do that without affecting the rematch, which is really good news because I thought yeah. maybe they were going to take it up the ass there too. Right, Jake? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's terrific news. So, um, Jay, I want to yeah. get into something, though, because, uh, Jay, you did ask us both about stylistics of, of the fight. I, I think we both kind of forgot about the question. I want The one argument I wanted to take up was the misconception that Gennady walked down Canelo. I don't think he did that at all. If he did, I think he would have gotten the knockout at some point. I thought Canelo fought as well as he could have in this fight, and he did his best to actually avoid Gennady's best shots. Maybe by laying on the ropes, he didn't ex- expend as much energy. It wasn't quite rope-a-dope. But, you know, Gennady was coming forward, but then all he was doing was really headhunting. He had prime opportunities to go to the body, wear Canelo down, and stop him. That would have been walking him down. All he kind of did was come forward all night, and Canelo picked up on that pretty early. And he did his best. You know, everyone was worried about Canelo's stamina issues. But it was Gennady who was actually breathing heavily in between every single round. So I'm going to argue vehemently that, you know, that um, Gennady dictated the pace. And that's what I think a lot of people are basing their scorecards on, that Gennady was the effective aggressor. I don't agree with that. I thought they both did a very good job of influencing the game plans. I thought Canelo carried out his game plan a lot better. But, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean necessarily that he won the fight. But there was a lot of things that Gennady did wrong. There was a lot of things that Abel wanted him to do. And I thought Abel was giving him very good instructions in quarter. A lot of people saying, oh, he wasn't giving him technical advice. He was adjusting in between every single round. It's just a matter that Gennady couldn't fully execute. Well, you know, I think that the world, you know, then erupted, right? I mean, after the scorecards were read, and I think we're all like, what went wrong, right? It was such a good fight. What went wrong? And so, again, I'm not going to harp on the judges too much, but the lady, you know, Judge Bird, her score being 118-110 for Canelo. How does a professional judge that's been judging for like 20 years consistently turn in scorecards like this that are just so ridiculous um, and she keeps on getting these really big assignments and I almost feel like she's like blackmailing someone over there like dude what does she have on somebody at the commission where she can continue to do things like that and then the Nevada commissioner Bob Bennett says well she had a bad night no that's not a bad night you know oh maybe she needs a little break no she doesn't need a little break bro (laughs) Yeah, and if you don't mind, I would actually like to get into this when I was talking about the scorecards because I have it right in front of me, too. And with Adelaide Burt, here, here's the problem. The moment the judges were announced, that was the one thing. I mean, we predicted it on the show. We said the judges were not going to get it right. Chris Mannix said that Adelaide Burt was going to be the one to blow it. There was someone, I, I wish I could remember the, uh, the Twitter handle for the guy who predicted this, but he actually predicted last Monday that Adelaide Burt would turn into a scorecard of 118-110 for Canelo. And sure, you know, right as rain, that's exactly what happened. And you look at her scorecard, for her to only give Gennady Golovkin rounds four and seven is criminal. It's just, you know, it's, you know, you can't say, oh, well, she's, you know, married to Robert Byrd, so, you know, she deserves it. She's given her chances, and at least once a year, she seems to blow a big fight. You know, top rank picked up on this. Carl Moretti tried to protest her being a judge for Vasily Lomachenko and Nicholas Walters last year, and Bob Bennett didn't want to hear it then. She wound up doing the fight. You know, uh, Lomachenko, of course, took the fight into his own hands, and, you know, judges didn't matter. When judges do matter, she seems to turn in these strange scorecards. But she's not alone. It's 
the Nevada Commission and it's boxing as a whole, but really with Nevada, we keep calling it, you know, the mecca of boxing. They're all growing old together. We're not getting in fresh blood. We need fresh eyes in there. We can't have the same officials all the time. It can't be Robert Byrd and Kenny Bayless doing every single big fight because both of them are past prime. Once upon a time, they were the best referees in the game. They are no longer that. I didn't even think Kenny Bayless was that good. They were, he really didn't have to be a factor at all in this fight, but there just seemed to be moments where he kept saying, watch your heads, watch it. It's like there was, no, there was no need for him to intervene really at any point in the fight. And with the judges, we keep getting these old judges all the time. I'm not saying that, you know, the old timers can't get the job done, but everyone gets a point where you just can't do the job as effectively as you once could. And that's definitely that maybe Adelaide Bird was a good judge once upon a time. I don't remember her being a great judge, but she deserves to get these assignments all the time. And turning an assignment to 10 rounds to two, I mean, that's, you know, C.J. Ross, it, it took for her to score, you know, fittingly enough, Canelo 114-114 versus Floyd Mayweather before she was finally shown the door. So maybe this is the point where we say, Adelaide Bird, you know, why don't you sit out, you know, maybe a year, then we're going to put you back down to six rounders with uh, Lisa Jamp until you can figure out how to score a fight right. With Don Chala. From uh, Bob Bennett of the Nevada State uh, Athletic Commission. This was his full statement following the fight outside of the press conference. Adelaide, in my estimation, is an outstanding judge. She's done over 115 times. Are you there? Picking up a little. Oh, I'm sorry. She does a great deal of our training, and she takes a lot of our judges under her wing. I think being a judge is a very challenging position. Unfortunately, Adelaide was a little wide. I'm not making any excuses. I think she's an outstanding judge, and in any business, you have a bad day. She saw the fight differently than the other judges. It happens. <laughs> and I'm very you interested know. in when we uh, bring Teddy on later on in the show to just get All his right. impression. You know, he's been more than outspoken about uh, judging and what he feels needs to be corrected in that area. But how do we really make that those changes happen since each state has their own athletic commission, et cetera, et cetera? But at the same time, let's not take away from the, the merits of the fight. The fight wasn't a dud. Right. It was competitive. They they went out and did what they needed to do. I thought that Canelo looked winded in, in spurts. I don't know if that's attributed to the fact that he hasn't had anyone really challenge him that way in a certain regard. In a rematch, let's talk rematch. In a rematch, who do you favor, Jake? You know, it's funny. A lot of people are, you know, especially if it happens, you know, a year from now, you know, Gennady's a year older. Canelo still, even in boxing years, isn't that old at all. You know, he's pretty close to the prime of his career. You know, if he carries out the same exact game plan and Gennady can't adjust, I think this time he will win the decision. And let, let's face it, the fight, if it happens in May, it's only going to take place in one or two places. It's either going to happen again in Vegas or it's going to happen in Texas. Where, you know, either place, the judge is going to favor Canelo, especially in another close fight. Maybe they'll exaggerate a little bit, you know, because they're cognizant of what happened last Saturday. But, you know, if Canelo carries out the same exact blueprint and, you know, Gennady is a year older and can't get, you know, stronger, can't rediscover his groove, I, I'm going to have to favor Canelo in a rematch. And I think, you know, in that regard, it was smart of Golden Boy to push this along as, as long as possible because everyone wanted this fight a year ago. They kind of promised the, the world when he, you know, agreed to fight at Khan that Gennady was going to get the fight a lot sooner than it actually happened. So, you know, it, it was smart on them because, you know, in my opinion, we've seen the best of Gennady, and I don't see him turning a switch like that in, uh, in 2018. What I do hope is that by the time the do fight, Gennady gets in two more defenses and he breaks Bernard Hopkins' middleweight record. That would really stick at the Golden Boy because they could have really, you know, Golden Boy could have been the last line of defense 
and preserving Benoit's record. So if Canelo's going to wait that long and Gennady decides, I'm going to start squeezing in fights, two mandatory defenses, he's got the record. So, you know, whether he wins or loses next year, Gennady Golovkin, I think, will make history when all is said and done. But for a rematch, the longer it takes, I'm going to have to favor Canelo. All right. In a rematch, I yep. What do you think, RB? I just don't know. Well, I think that now we've seen where Golovkin is at. We saw that he went the distance with Danny Jacobs. We saw he went the distance with Canelo. I think that he's finally reached his plateau, and that's okay because, what, he's in his 30s now, Jake? Is that right? Yes, he is. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, this happens. I mean, if he was doing some steroids and some Peds and all, <laughs> he would have probably still looked like a wrecking machine, you know, and he probably would have floored all of these guys. But I think he's a clean fighter. I think he does testing, and I think this is what happens with age. And, you know, I think he showed us where he's at in a rematch, especially in May. You know, we got to wait till May to possibly even see this. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would favor Canelo a whole lot more there. Yeah. I'm going to say one more thing on Gennady and why I think, you know, Canelo will make the same approach in May. I don't think Gennady ever really hit Canelo with his home run punch. Canelo has a phenomenal chin. I mean, that's without dispute. But Gennady never really landed that punch where he's just knocked the hell out of, you know, most of his other um, title challenges. Canelo landed at least twice. He landed shots that should have knocked out Gennady because they've knocked – I mean, he hit him with a similar shot that knocked out James Kirkland. Gennady has – I mean, this is one that we finally found out. Gennady has a world-class chin. You could argue that he probably has one of the best chins in boxing. I mean, because some of the shots he took on Saturday night, I'm like, how the hell did he not fall down? How did he not even wobble backwards? I mean, there was a couple times, you know, he was briefly stunned, but that was it. And it's happened to him in the past. I mean, with Daniel Gill, when he knocked him out, he got clocked with a right hand right before that, took it, you know, <laughs> readjusted himself and knocked him out. I mean, so that's one thing we found out. With, I mean, we got some answers from Gennady. It's like we kind of, you know, said he has all these defenses, but is he really among the all-time greats? At least we know he has an all-time great chin. Yes, he does. Well, they both have a. Yeah. Well, look, before we get into Jake's take, which it sounds like we're already in Jake's take, and we only have about five minutes, and Teddy Atlas is going to come in and say, Jake, we're really going to need you to, you know, breathe through Jake's take today. Uh, But across the way, Billy Joe Saunders got a unanimous decision over Willie Monroe. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Not that anybody cares. I heard it wasn't that great of a fight anyway. But let's move on, and let's really get into Jake's take. So we talked about the judging and the scorecards and some of the – errors that were made but last week we talked about the middleweight division and how influential it has been and how historical it's been and how we got to keep the lights on after this big fight what did this fight do not only for the middleweight division but for the sport well your word on the curb actually answers that question the fact that Gennady doesn't have to sit around and wait for Canelo to make a decision that's great news for boxing because from the moment the fight ended up until now I was kind of worried I was worried that we weren't going to see any good middleweights like, if Canelo and Gennady were going to sit out until next May, my concern was that every other middleweight was going to sit on their ass and take easy fights because they want to be next in line for this fight. The fact that Gennady can truck forward, maybe he does fight Billy Joe Saunders. I don't want to see Billy Joe Saunders get that payday. I'm going to say it. Sorry to curse. The man's a piece of shit. He doesn't deserve the fight. But I would love to see Gennady snatch that belt just to have all four. If mm-hmm. Canelo still isn't ready to fight by then, then maybe he makes his mandatory defense against Jamal Charlo or Sergey Derevchenko. And like I said, that gets into 21. So, to Gennady, like on in the you know for the middleweight division, and we all kind of got that sense. You know, with the middleweights, it's 
it's going to be Canelo, and then it's going to be the middleweight division. And at the middleweight division, Gennady Golovkin is still at the top. So if he's getting back to the point where he can fight three, maybe even four times a year, or you know, three or four times within a 12-month span, that's going to be very good news for boxing. That's the good news that boxing will need. Uh, so what, let's talk about some mandatories that are going to be yeah. due soon. You know, the PBC with Charlo and, <laughs> and what, what kind of interesting things are going to happen there. I mean, maybe we see Golovkin Charlo. Uh, you know, yeah. What could we possibly get? Well, I'm going to say this. Canelo and Golden Boy have taken this hardline stance against the WBC, which I think is ridiculous because Golden Boy is going to have to do business with the WBC. I mean, Joseph Diaz just won a WBC title eliminator. You can't tell him, well, we're right. not fighting for the title because we're going big dick with them. But the WBC, if they're taking that in mind that Canelo doesn't want a title, they can go ahead and say, well, we're going to force, you know, Gennady's now going to fight Jamal Charlo next. And I don't care if, you know, he wants to fight Canelo in May. He's going to get this uh, mandatory title defense out of the way before it happens. And if I'm PBC, I'm telling every promoter in the rotation, put your money on the table. We're going to force this to a purse bid. We are going to win this purse bid. We're going to make sure that Jamal Charlo fights Gennady Golovkin next. Stylistically, I think that's probably the worst fight out there for Gennady. So I would much rather fight Derevchenko, who's dangerous in his own right. I mean, we saw that against Toriano Johnson. But it's, you know, Gennady's right back to he was fighting, um, you know, these PBC guys and, you know, fighting across the street, uh, you know, on the other side of the country. Now he's kind of right back in that position. And I hate it because Gennady should be the guy in control, but he's always the one that's conceding in order to get these guys in the ring. So Tom Loeffler is going to have to go back to wheeling and dealing. The good news is he's the one promoter that always gets the job done in that regard. He's the one promoter outside of PBC that can negotiate with PBC. But if Canelo is going to sit out until, you know, 2018, Loeffler's choices are either negotiate with PBC or hope to God that your first offer to Billy Joe Saunders and Frank Warren gets accepted because we saw what happened in the past already. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, you know, Billy Joe Saunders, I don't know, like, how much I care about him. I mean, Golovkin Charlo sounds a whole lot cooler and a whole lot more yes. intriguing. And I think Loeffler is willing to work with people from all sides of the street. I, you Absolutely. know, I don't, I don't see him being, you know, having all those political lines in the sand. Um, so, anyway, we've got one more minute. Jake, <laughs> um, I know that you were talking about, you know, a lot of people were tweeting about the decision and they were having right. a hard time with it. And, um you know, but there there were people at the post-fight press conference that were asking Bob Bennett, like, well, what are you going to do about Bird? And you know yeah. what? Honestly, even though, like, I thought that that was bold, I didn't feel like it was the right time. What was that guy going to get up there and, and say? I mean, it was 30 minutes after the fight. Everybody's having a meltdown. I mean, look, they got to exactly. go back. They have to review it. they got to watch the fight together. Right. What are the consequences? What is the punishment? I mean, I don't think he was able to answer every single one of those questions that people were throwing at him on Saturday night. Emotions were high. People were angry. I mean, I almost felt bad for him. Now, not so bad because he keeps appointing her, right, Right. to these big fights. But, you know, I felt like, you know, he couldn't give us an answer. I mean, what what are they going to do? Well, in the past, I, I always think of one fight. When Mike Tyson came out of jail, his first fight out of jail was against Cena McNeely. On the undercard was a lightweight title fight between Miguel Angel Gonzalez and Lamar Murphy. A very controversial fight. It came down to uh, Gonzalez won a controversial decision, and there was a lot of issues with fouls that were missed. One of the first people in the ring that were interviewed was Mark Ratner, who ran Nevada Commission at that time. That's the perfect place to answer those questions because he's in a controlled environment. You know, he's on air. It was Showtime pay-per-view. In this case, it could have been Max Kellerman you know, whoever wanted to conduct the interview. He should have interviewed Bob Bennett in a controlled environment, asked some questions, and Bob could have just given any generic answer. You know, Mark Ratner Mm -hmm. at the time said that 
Mitch Halpern missed a few things. You know, I'm going to review it, make sure he becomes a better referee. And the late Mitch Halpern, God bless him, you know, rest his soul, he, he became a great referee. And Bob Bennett could have said that, you know, we're going to sit down with the judges, you know, we're going to review it and take, you know, determine from there the best course of action. I have no further comment at this time. That ends everything. Bob Bennett shouldn't have to answer to a bunch of hot-headed reporters at this time. I mean, can you imagine Teddy Atlas going after, you know, they say they, they want the judges to, um, to speak. Can you imagine Teddy Atlas being the first one asking the judge, what the hell were you watching? You don't, you're yeah. not going to get answers that way. You want it to be in a controlled environment. But the commissioner should be on standby, especially for these moments, because we get these decisions all the time. It's not, nothing, it's not anything new in boxing. So there should be someone well, from the commission on standby ready to answer questions in a controlled environment. Yeah, you know, and going back to the WBC and their risk with Canelo or Canelo's risk with them, because I don't right. think they have a, of an issue with Canelo. Word on the curb is that the WBC, they were actually all denied credentials that night. Um, yeah. And they, there were a few people that are affiliated with the WBC that they were, like, walking around with heavy hearts. Like, they were just like, man, this really sucks because right. we're good with everybody else. Like, you know, Golden Boy has other fighters that are fighting for WBC and eliminators. And, but it's just with Canelo. And I think everyone kind of feels in the middle. Even Golden right. Boy, I think, feels kind of stuck in the middle. Like, you know, this is kind of where we are right now. We're sorry, but we got to stick with our guy who, turn, who keeps our lights on. You know, and so yeah. it was uh, It was really strange to see. And, you know, when I heard that they didn't get credential, I was like, wow, Canelo is not playing with them. But I always tell people, don't start taking sides right away because eventually right. they will make up. Eventually they will be friends again. You know, in this business, Top Rank used to hate Golden Boy. Golden Boy used to hate Top Rank. And then everybody took sides, remember? And yep. then what happened when they started working together again? Now you look like an idiot. Because you were taking sides for no reason. And in this business, exactly. everybody breaks up the makeup. Yep. No, I, I agree 100%. So. And I, I know we're pressed for time, but I, I think this whole thing with Golden Boy and the WBC is ridiculous. I mean, Oscar, in this regard, you know, I always admired Oscar because, you know, the way he grew up, he never forgets where he came from. But in a boxing sense, he's forgetting where he came from because he's fought for the WBC many times. He has a lot of great memories with, with that organization. And he's really going to wind up screwing over his own company you know, his stable of fighters just for one guy, and we get it. Canelo is a cash cow. But at some point, you got to sit him down and say, you know, Canelo, yeah, you're making us a lot of money, but it's time to grow up. You know, Canelo, he was mad at them for the way they forced his hand last year. That's fine. You know, he was mad for a whole year. It's time to get over it for the sake of for the company that promotes him, that has always stood by him. Get over it and move on already. Before we close the chapter on this, let's take just a quick glance at the undercar fights. We had Jojo Diaz with uh, the decision win over... Rafael Rivera, and we had the uh, Diego De La Hoya with the win over Randy uh, over Randy Caballero. What did you think of uh, Jojo Diaz's performance? Rafael Rivera on the scale looked great. Came in four days notice, was only a pound overweight, and right. and went into the fight and gave Jojo Diaz uh, the business in the early parts of the fight. <laughs> what did you think of his performance? You know it's. I, Jojo Diaz is a nice kid, but it's, I, I felt the same way after this fight as I do every time I see Jojo Diaz. It's like, okay, got the win. What's next? That's all I really got out of this fight. I, I was actually kind of worried when he was supposed to fight Jorge Lara. You know, Lara pulled out for whatever reason. You know, I guess he was injured or whatever, but, you know, a healthy Jorge Lara would have given him a lot of problems, and I thought Lara was a live underdog in that fight. So I think Joseph Diaz might have dodged the bullet. You know, I thought he looked good, not great. I, nobody thinks he's ready for Gary Russell. You know, he'll probably wind up fighting for um, a, an interim title. You know, uh, Jesus Rojas just pulled an upset over Claudio Marrero. 
so, you know, Golden Boy has ties to Rojas. So that, that'll probably be Diaz's next fight, you know, a, a manufactured title. I, I think we've seen his ceiling already. I, don't, I wasn't really impressed. The one guy I was really impressed with, and I've always been impressed with him, is Diego De La Hoya. That was supposed to be the 150-50 fight on the undercard, and Diego De La Hoya made it look easy. I mean, I feel bad for Caballero. You know, at one point, his prospects are very high. He won a title. He just never really rediscovered his groove. This weekend seemed to be all about making sure he made weight, which he did. He came a, a pound under, you know, because the last time he was in Vegas, he lost his title at the scale and didn't even get to fight Lee Haskins. So this time he easily made weight, but that was the only thing that came easy. You know, Diego De La Hoya looked fantastic. He looks like a legit contender at 122 pounds, in my opinion. And then even Ryan Martin, a lot of people were down on him saying he struggled. You know, he was lucky to get the win. I don't agree with that at all. Yes, he did struggle, and he even admitted this was probably the worst performance of his career. But he's a young prospect. He overcame a bad night and found a way to get a close win, which he deserved. So there's some good things to come with the undercard. You know, Diego De La Hoya and then, you know, Ryan Martin getting that tough fight out of the way, which I think will make him a better fighter. I'm really excited hmm. about Diego De La Hoya's future. Well, um, so regarding the undercard, Ryan Martin, nice kid, super nice kid. He just doesn't do it for me. I think he's going to have <laughs> to get, like, some major win with a major yep. name for me to, like, really realize how good he is. Because I think he is decent. You know, I think he's got a lot of good tools, but – Man, there's like no charisma there. And I don't want to beat him up because the same could be said when Terrence Crawford first started coming up as a prospect. People said he's boring. He has no charisma. He has, you know, there's just nothing special. And then we got to see how special he really was. So hopefully that'll be Ryan Martin's case where he right. needs that big win. He needs that big name. Like some, something's got to happen, I think, for him to catch my attention. Caballero de la Hoya. Uh, Delahoya, you know, I felt like he completely outclassed Caballero over the 10 rounds. Um, I, he was definitely more explosive. I think Caballero, it, he is what he is. I think they did really good marketing with him in the past. Um, you know, I, I don't know where he goes from here. JoJo, typical JoJo. This is the fight that we get every single time from him. He's got a lot of tools in the toolbox, not a lot of power. Every fight, we're going to see him go the distance. Super nice kid, super marketable. You know, he, he's saying he wants Barry Russell Jr. next. I actually think they should make that fight. I think we'll get more out of him. I think we'll see more dog in him. He's going to have to fight his ass off against Gary Russell Jr. I think that's when we'll get to see the real JoJo. Absolutely. Well, all right, Jake Donovan. It's always a pleasure. Bring the heat. Did you have your Takate on fight night? I, I did not. I watched. <laughs> I had to work the next morning, so I actually took a nap, woke up, watched the fight by myself, and in silence, off Twitter, and sober. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and cut to commercial before we have Teddy Atlas. Thanks for joining us, Jake, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Always my pleasure. I'll be in Jack. Thank you. Champs Boxing Club and Fitness, bringing the city of Danbury a safe, clean, and professional boxing gym. Located on 128 East Liberty Street, Champs Boxing Club offers you more than five trainers who are all either current or former professional and amateur boxers. Look us up online at champsboxingclub.org for a full description on membership rates, discounts, and more about our facility. Also, check us out on social media at Champs Danbury. If you're ready to join, send us an email at cbcdanbury at gmail.com, and we'll get right back to you. Or swing by and visit. We look forward to you joining our team. Come see what all the buzz is all about here at Champs in Danbury, Connecticut. 
John Francis Agency is comprised of dedicated insurance professionals who manage risk, protect wealth, and cater to clients' personal and business needs. We offer disability coverage for boxers as well as life and liability insurance. Career-ending injury insurance along with illness insurance is also offered through our agency. For more information, please visit us online at johnfrancisagency.com or call us today at 732-497-9624. John Francis Agency, our daily grind is protecting your wealth. And we are back. Welcome to the Morning Punch and Show with RB and J. Uh, thank you, Jake Donovan, for a fiery Jake's take. We are awaiting our next guest. In the meantime, uh, why don't we run through the weekend fight schedule while we're waiting for our guest Perfect. to join us. Um, coming up on September 19th, which is tomorrow, uh, PBC on Fox Sports 1 will be headlined by Mario Barrios versus Naeem Nelson for 10 rounds. Uh, on Friday... From Tucson, Arizona, RB will be in the house on ESPN and ESPN Deportes. Oscar Valdez, the champ, the WBO featherweight title champion, will take on Genesis Cervania for the WBO featherweight title. And in the co-feature, Gilberto Zerto Ramirez will face Jesse Hart for Ramirez's WBO super middleweight title. And always, and also on the card, the Irish wonder Michael Conlon will take on Kenny Guzman uh, in the uh, on the undercard of that fight. Also on Saturday in my hood in Inglewood, I'll be in the house for Jorge Linares versus Luke Campbell for Linares' WBA lightweight title. And in the co-feature, Antonio Orozco versus Roberto Ortiz. Also happening that night from San, from San Antonio, the World Boxing Super Series, Unier Dirty Coast will take on Dimitri Kadrashov for the WBA regular cruiserweight title. And we'll finish up with those cards, but I think our guest is in the studio with us right now. Good morning. This is the Morning Punch and Show. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hello, hello. Hello. Yeah, no. Hello, good morning. Hello. Teddy? Good morning, Teddy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. It's, this, I thought this was a radio interview. This is. Uh, yes, it is. Yes, no, it it's is. It's like an internet. All right, no problem. Good morning, Teddy. Thank you so much to join us this morning. We want to get right into it right away. Before we talk about the fight, thank you again for joining us. It's such a pleasure. Before we dive into no Canelo versus Triple G and we get your pressure up, let's rewind to when the fight was first made official. Who was your pick when you first heard the announcement? Well, I've been saying it on ESPN, so most people probably know already. I've been saying it for the last couple of months, but my pick when it was first buzzed about or talked about the possibility of the fight about two years ago, it was Golovkin to win easy. Matter of fact, uh, probably to win by knockout, too big, too strong, and too irresponsible a fight to be made at the time. You know, you have to be responsible when you're a manager and you're a matchmaker and you encompass all those things into a promotion and you're a promoter. You have the responsibility to lead your fighter down the proper path. And I said at that time that if Golden Boy did make the fight at that time, they should be arrested for mismanagement uh, immediately and they should wait. And they did. They waited. Uh, there was a couple reasons I felt that way. One was because of the obvious. I just said it. Uh, the other guy, Golovkin, was too big, too strong, and I thought he would destroy him uh, at that time or, or win in a very handy way. But 
the other reason was economics. You know, economics is always a big part of it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And if they they had the goose that lays the golden eggs, then why kill it? You know, that goose, of course, being Canelo. He, because of the great Latino market and backing with the Mexican fan base and the Latino fan base, with pay-per-view, they could fight a doorman, you know, down mm. the street, and they could get paid. They proved that. I mean, I went with ESPN. I had to go cover the fight with the guy from England, uh, Smith, or whatever his name was, that that we fought in Dallas. I had to go, go out there and cover that fight uh, at the Dallas, you know, football stadium. And um, so they could... They could make, and that guy, of course, didn't wasn't really entitled to a title fight. I don't care what the corrupt organizations say, and as far as rating or anything like that. So when you know when you know that you could fight anybody and get paid, why why destroy that? I mean, you have yeah. a responsibility not to destroy that. So I knew that it made no sense to make the fight at that time for those two reasons, and that they should wait, wait for him to get older, wait for. Golovkin to dissipate a little bit and also wait for the fight to become a bigger fight because as much as what I just said is true that Canelo could fight anybody and still get paid that's that was not true on the other side of it Canelo you know Golovkin couldn't fight anybody and get paid he couldn't get to that stratosphere of money um, that Canelo could get to as good as he was he just couldn't get there he wasn't uh, you know he wasn't a crossover fighter that had that kind of market behind them. So it made no sense at all in any way to make that fight. So they waited. And by waiting, what happened? Well, the guy got older. He dissipated over the last two years. Maybe he got exposed. Maybe it wasn't dissipation only. Maybe the truth was that the curtain got pulled back from the wizard a little mm-hmm. bit. And we we saw that he was vulnerable in ways we didn't see in the Jacobs fight, in the Kelp Brooks fight, whatever it was. By waiting two years, A, they had a better chance to win the fight or at least be competitive in the fight, and B, they they would make, you know, they would make more money. And now here we are on the other side of the fight. Dave Moretti, 115-113, Don Trello, 114-114, a draw, and Adelaide Bird, 118-110. How did you score the fight, Teddy? And we'll talk about the judges scoring. I don't have my card. You know, I threw my card away, I'll be honest, as I, uh, as I probably threw up in the garbage pail. But, I, you know, I was on the air to 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, we did an hour straight of live television with me and Stephen Smith. And, you know, I just, at a certain point, I just, the card didn't mean anything anymore. I think I had it 118, 110, believe it or not, the same as that crook had it, obviously the other way. But, you know, um I could have had it one seventeen, one eleven. Either one would have been, you know, would have been fine. Um, you know, but but at the, I mean, at the end of the day, what we're not looking at too, we're looking at that, which is, you know, the right thing to look at. But we're not looking at the one fourteen, one fourteen. That was the only difference with that was latex gloves were used, so you wouldn't leave fingerprints. That that's the oldest move in boxing if you want to corrupt a fight, if you want to give it to somebody else or not give it to somebody. You make it a draw so people can conjecture about it, like we are right now and people are right now. People people are fooled very easy, you know, and when they want to be fooled sometimes. So 
you, so you don't leave fingerprints. That's that's what the one fourteen one for. It's a robbery without fingerprints. That's the only difference. Hmm. Is it possible that Adelaide Bird, since she's always so far on the other side of where the trend that the other judges are going, is there when judges are instructed when they're heading out there to score these fights from the early points in their career and working up the championship fights? Is there a standard way? that judges are taught or could she have been just done something different or taught something different that's contrary to what other judges are taught? Listen, I'm not going to try to break that down. I don't know what, <laughs> I mean, it, it's either ineptness or corruption. You take your choice, whatever you want to do. I just don't think somebody could be that inept. That's all. But, um, yeah. you know, the criterion should be clear. It's supposed to be, I mean, you have a small point there where sometimes we're not strong enough about the criterion. That the criterion, it shouldn't be about what style you like when you grew up and you watch fights with your father or your grandfather or whoever you watch fights with. It shouldn't be about that. It should be about what's the criterion for scoring. It's supposed to be whoever lands the cleaner, more effective punches. It's professional boxing. And, you know, it's about putting fannies in a seat. It's about making sure that you have an exciting product to put forward to make money on. That's what it's about. So the rules stipulate that. The criterion goes along parallel with that. Now, who lands the most clean, effective punches? Who controls the fight? Who controls the tempo of the fight, dictates the pace of the fight? You want to call it ring generalship? Call it whatever you want to call it. But who controls the fight? Sometimes you don't need a scorecard. You look, you say, that guy won the fight. You just see it. You see what transpired, the tempo of the fight, the flow of the fight. That fight was like watching the ocean move a log around, okay? I've never seen the ocean lose a fight yet. The log doesn't win. The log gets pushed up on a, pushed up on a sand somewhere. It might every once in a while bounce over a couple waves. It might. Yeah, I've seen it. But at the end of the day, the ocean has its way. The ocean that night, if you watch the fight that way, the ocean was Golovkin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, there's been a lot of calls on social media and on the Internet that they want everyone to start sending letters, you know, to the Nevada State Commission to express, you know, their disgust and the scoring and with Bird. And, but, you know, is that really going to be effective? I mean, what's the only effective thing that could happen, in my opinion, is just stop assigning her to these big fights. Because nothing's going to change in this sport because the power brokers is only, you know, a few of them, a handful, um, don't want it to change because it favors them on the night that it favors them <laughs> to have this kind of policy, to have, you know, this kind of setup. I mean, well, we need a national commission. Now, look, at the end of the day, will there be other things I'd be worried about if we had? Yeah, damn right I would. I'd be worried about who the hell's putting charge to be the czar. Uh, you know, is it a... Is it a honest, in, uncorruptible, incorruptible, whatever the proper way of saying it, uh, person. Yeah, without attachment to promoters and other such people. Yeah, I'd be concerned about that. But but we have to get there. We have to get to something that polices the sport. Every other sport, we want to be a relevant sport, then you have to have something that makes sure the sport stays relevant, stays honest, stays credible, doesn't lose credibility with its fan base, with the public. And that's why the NBA has a national commission. That's why the NFL has yeah. a national commission. I mean, that's why MLB has a commission. I mean, that's why. There's a reason for that. And, you know, we don't have that. 
We have these ridiculous commissions around the country sometimes, and sometimes they are ridiculous. You know, sometimes they try not to be ridiculous. I give them credit. But sometimes it's absurd. I mean, there's no separation between city and state, state and church, if you will, to, to, just to get that vision of understanding that there's, there's no separation or not proper separation between the people making money in the business and the people that are supposed to be administrating to the rules of the business. The, and that can't be. That can't be in anything. You have to have separation between the people that are going to make the money, in this case the promoters, the managers, you know, and the people that are supposed to be the administrators of the sport. And there is no separation. <laughs> There's none. It's absurd. I mean, the promoters can sit down and hang out with the commissioners, hang out with the with the alphabet phony organizing, <laughs> the phony corrupt alphabet organizations. I mean, really. I, I mean, the public has heard me before. The IBF should be IB Felonius. The WBA should be we be uh, asking, and the WBC should be we be collecting. That's what they are. I mean, really, if you're going to get away from the crap, that's that's they're not honest. They've never been honest. They they've been about themselves and about controlling the boxing business to the point that matters to them and having that power and that ability to do that and and using the environment. The environment that's a corruptible landscape. Boxing has a landscape that's corrupt. I just described the landscape. It's a corruptible landscape. So, of course, human beings, after a while, they're going to be, unfortunately, what they can be sometimes, greedy and take advantage of the opportunity. And they're going to, if you allow them to corrupt it, the only reason, I'm not saying baseball and football people are better. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, if you allow them an environment to corrupt it, they corrupt it too. But they're not given that environment, that landscape, to corrupt it. I mean, you, you're allowed to go in there and hang out with the commissioners if you're the promoter and hang out with the, with the alphabet people. And, and you're allowed to say, I don't want this judge. How absurd is that? You're allowed to say, no, nah, I don't want that judge. I don't want. So now the, what happens? The signal is sent. They understand there's unemployment in this business. There's not that many promoters. There's that many places where, where there's action going on all the time. So where the action is going on, you can't be shut out from that action. So now the judges understand, if I don't give it to that guy, I'm, I'm going to be blackmailed. I'm going to be blacklisted uh, for the most part. So I'm not going to be I'm, – I'm going to be kept off shows. I can't be kept off shows if I'm going to be a judge, if I'm going to make a living, if I'm going to – have a viable career, I can't let that happen. So it's going to continue. I don't think the public really quite understands what I just said. That might be the first time they heard it, maybe mm -hmm. to, to, that, to that level, to, to that level. I think they have an overview of it, an overview understanding of there's a lot of problems there, but I don't <laughs> think they quite, quite really understand the depth of it, how it really works. No, it's so complicated. Does all of this stuff with the business and the judging, does it make you ever just miss training fighters? Was that just, like, easier for you? Training is very difficult. It's not easy, but it's, there's a purity to it. There's more of a purity where you can, you can keep that stuff out. You know, you can lock the gym door, and it's you and the fighter, and it's teaching. It's you teaching somebody helping them become better, whether it's in an emotional way, a physical way, a technical way, but adding to their mission, 
being part of that mission, that mission to be the best in the world, and being able to sit with the fighter, teach him things, you know, supplement what he what he doesn't have, add to what he what he has, take what he has, the great things that he has, and tweak it a little bit, uh, and and look at it and get him to see things uh, that that maybe you can give him a better ability to see. Uh, being part of becoming better uh, and helping someone become better and become the best that they can be is a privilege. It's a privilege. And not everyone is given that kind of privilege. And when you're given that, you feel it, you understand it, and you respect it, and you embrace it. And and there's there's a purity, like I said, there's a beauty to that. There's a specialness to that. And, um, and, and then to be able to have to have the responsibility to get someone to trust you in a very dangerous place. The ring can be very dangerous, just like the football field. Very dangerous place. You might not come off. Mm-hmm. You might not walk off that football field, and you might not walk right. out of that ring. And to have that responsibility to lead somebody and for that person to trust you, that's where it becomes difficult. That's where it becomes difficult for me because every day, every morning, every night, every moment, I think. Did I do enough? Did I do the right thing? Did, did, I, did I add to what he needs to be able to win this fight? And you, you, you just go over that. You crucify yourself sometimes with that. Uh, at least I do uh, in camp. And the camp is two months long. Maybe it's seven weeks long. Uh, but usually it's somewhere seven, eight weeks. And every day, you're in a beautiful place usually. And I have no mm-hmm. complaints. Again, I'll say it again. You're blessed. You're blessed to be able to do that for a living. But yeah. you're cursed. You're cursed. Because every day you have to care, did I do the right thing for this person and their family and your family when they get in that ring? Will it be okay? Will it be right? And you don't know until you know. And that's a lot to be over you all the time. So training fighters, and tell me this, what's more frustrating, when you spend weeks or months with a fighter and they don't follow your instructions or a bad decision in boxing like we saw Saturday night? What's more frustrating to you? What's more, it's, it, it, it's more impactful with you. Let's be honest here. It's, it's more impactful with you when you, it's connected to you, to your family, to that fighter's family, what I just described, yeah. to, that, to that responsibility. Because that's your responsibility. You had something to do with that. That's more impactful. I don't know if it's frustrating. It's not frustrating. It's, it's more painful. It's more hurtful because it's you. Because, it's, because you could have done something about that, no matter what. You could have done You say, well, the fighter has to fight. It's like, yeah, but you still feel... You could have done something. You could have made an adjustment. You could have done something. And you can't do nothing about watching someone else's fighter fight. You have nothing to do with that. You're just, you're just a participant in the audience. But when you're in that corner, that's a whole damn different thing. And, and mm. that's a whole more, that's much more serious for you. For you. Let's be honest. We, we think about what impacts us. But the next closest thing is what you just described. Because I care about the sport. I care. I've been in the sport 40 years. I haven't done anything else. This is all I've ever done. And you, you just care about the sport. You care about, you understand 
the impact. You know why I get so upset? Some people don't understand. Mm. They say, oh, geez, I, he got really upset that fight a lot. Well, you know, he'll have another chance. No, you, no, he won't. He might never get another chance. Now, these guys will. They're at that special place. But what about all these other fighters we forget to mention? The 20 years that I did ESPN Friday Night Fights, uh, these, all these fighters, I can't even remember their names, that, that had chances to get there, that worked all there. It wasn't that night. It was 15 years of nights to get there where they gave up their plum. They gave up their Christmas Eve. They gave up their New Year's Eve. They gave up birthday parties with their Ooh. kids. And they finally get there and they get robbed. What about them? And they haven't made money yet. What about those people? You know what? They don't get to play a baseball game the next day and forget about it and wash it away. They don't get to play a football game a week later. They don't get to play an NBA game the next night. No. They have to go to the back of the line and put themselves in position to take thousands of punches to get back to that place that they already were at and that they already mm. earned the right to win. That's what it means to me. And when, so when I see that, that, that's not frustration. That, that's, that's beyond frustration. That's understanding what it does and how it impacts a human being. That's more than frustration. That under, that's the difference between truth and lies. Well, you know, Teddy, when we were in Vegas this weekend, we got to spend some time with Russell Peltz and Don Chargin and Bill Kaplan, a bunch of the old great guys, a bunch of Hall of Famers. And I asked them all this question, and I want to ask it to you, and we're going to leave off on this final Not thought. Not everyone deserves to be a Hall of Famer. They deserve to be Hall of Famers. Absolutely. Those three guys you just mentioned, they earned the right. They earned the trust. They, they did what you're supposed to do year after year after year after year for the business and for the fighters. They deserve to be mentioned as Hall of Famers. Nowadays, sometimes we do not, do not honor that standard. We do not, I'll say it again, honor that standard. Those guys mm-hmm. belong in the Hall of Fame. Well, the question, I, and I totally agree with you, and I love spending time with them. You know, when everybody's out partying and hanging out, I like to sit with Russell Peltz. I like to sit with Don Chargin. I like to sit with those guys, and I like to learn from them and pick their brains. And, you know, it, it's in value. I mean, it's just priceless. So here's the question I'm going to ask you is, where do you see boxing in, say, 15, 20 years? It will always be there. It will always be there. I'm not going to say it's going to be there and, I, you know, you're going to chuckle, but I'm not going to say it'll be there like cockroaches always be around. I'm going to say it'll be like sharks will always be around. Sharks never disappear, you know. Sharks always mm-hmm. I mean, it will it will always exist, you know. I mean, what condition it will be in, that will vary. That will have it peaks and highs and lows and valleys. Right now, we're at a high. Because partly, and it's not patting myself on the back because I'm involved in the, in the, uh, in the corporation, um, but ESPN now has just gotten into boxing at a high level where they're going to be doing uh, as big, probably bigger fights uh, than HBO now. And they're going to be doing mm-hmm. bigger names. But more important, the difference is it's going to be instead of pay-per-view or HBO, it's free TV. You know, for the most yeah. part. I mean, and so it's making the sport relevant again. It's very important. It's bringing big fights back to free television. There's a reason why the 80s was so healthy. 
There's two reasons why the 80s was a great time, and that's more of a contemporary time, more of a recent time, more of a modern time. So I'm going to use that. Of course, I'm not going to go back to the greatest time, which was the 30s and the 40s and all that. So where you had fighters that were just the greatest fighters of all time, you're never going to have that ever again. Fighters fighting the best and fight 300 all right. fights. But, but the 80s was so damn healthy because you had it on free TV, number one, where people could identify with the fighters, could get access to the fighters. And number two, you had the best guys fighting the best guys. You had good fighters, great fighters. Sugar Ray Leonard, he stacks up with any era. You had Tommy Hearns. You had Roberto Duran. He stacks up probably with any era. You had Pernell Whitaker. You had Marvin Hagler. He stacks up with any era. You had great fighters. But more importantly, here's the formula. They were fighting each other. So now... You have Rigan Dial fighting Lomachenko on RA on ESPN December ninth at Madison Square Garden. So now you're getting back to that where you're going to have the sport is going to be relevant again, where it belongs, where it deserves to be. But again, where will it be 20 years? From, it will always be around. It just what condition will it be in? That's what. And these bad decisions they dictate that they dictate to a certain degree because every time. Every time you send out a sailboat to sail, and, and I'm going to look at it that way, you know, boxing as a sailboat to sail out on a beautiful sea, and then you have a bad decision, you just smashed one of the sails. You just took one of the sails and you smashed it. You threw it in the water. And so you're still out on the water, but now you can't navigate as well. And that's what the bad decisions do. At the end of the day, You'll still be with boxing. You know why? Because there's a brilliance, there's a magnificence, there's a magic to boxing that doesn't exist anywhere else. And what that magic mm. is that on any given night, no matter your ethnicity, your religion, your race, your way, the level of life that you come from, no matter what your poverty might be, no matter all the problems that you might have, mm. or maybe you don't have parents, you're, terrible things. Life can do that to you sometimes. You mm. know what? Sometimes life truly isn't fair, but at the end of the day, in boxing, you can have a man get in that ring, and that person, no matter what he's been through in life, the hardships of life, if he's tough enough, if he's determined enough, if he trained long enough, if it's in his heart, if it's in his chest, mm. if it's in his mind, if he has made himself that kind of person that is that determined, he can be have his hand raised up that night despite everything else and be called the best in the world, mm -hmm. champion of the world, and make life fair. Nothing else for that moment. For that moment, nothing else, no other sport can do that, can make life fair in one night. And boxing can do that. And when people realize that, they, they, it resonates with people. They feel it. They understand it. And they look yeah. and they come out to watch. Well, Teddy, you mentioned uh, something real quick about free TV and ESPN you know, bringing this boxing back to free TV. But hasn't that really been Al Heyman's whole campaign the past couple of years where it was like free PBC on, you know, ESPN and on all these other networks? And now you're saying now we finally get free boxing again. And so where, where did that Al go? Al Heyman, wrong? listen, in all fairness, Al Heyman did do that. That's right. You're, you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. He deserves credit. Absolutely right. Absolutely. 
but somewhere it went wrong. Yeah, listen, that's for other people to examine and figure out. Maybe he spread himself too thin. That happened. You know, he he was trying hard, and he spread himself too thin. Maybe he should have picked one network. I'm no genius. But, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he should have picked – listen, hindsight is always 20-20, you know, and – but maybe he should, but that doesn't mean we can't look at things and get smarter from experience and from history. And maybe he should have picked one place and put all his eggs in that one basket, maybe. But uh, at the end of the day, right now, ESPN is in that position. It's, it's, yep. it's one place. And they're putting forward, I mean, they put forward Pacquiao. We put forward Lomachenko. We put forward Crawford. Now, you know, and now we're talking about Lomachenko again with Rigan Diaw. I don't know if Rigan Diaw is past his prime. He might be, but it's still an intriguing fight. It's still an intriguing fight. And all I know is right now, that's the path we're on, and it's a good path. Well, Teddy, it has been an honor speaking with you this morning. Those scorecards put a little water in the basement on us this weekend, but we're still going to carry on and fight into the next few rounds. We're looking forward to seeing you on the desk, like you said, with Lomachenko, Rigondeaux, and the other great fights that are coming up on ESPN. Thank you again for joining us this morning. Well, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. All right. Why don't we take a quick commercial break and get ready to wrap it up? Any vehicle, any age, any mileage. With Nationwide Auto Warranties, you will stop paying unexpected costly repair bills and let an extended auto warranty pay. Go to NationwideAutoWarranties.com for an instant email quote or call 1-866-352-4999 for a free no-obligation phone quote. So stop paying and let Nationwide Auto Warranties get you your coverage today. Again, that number is 1-866-352-4999 or visit NationwideAutoWarranties.com. Are you an elite athlete looking to take your training to an elite level? Then Porter High Performance Center in Las Vegas is your number one spot. Our private training facility offers you high-altitude chambers, a boxing ring with telestrators, cryogenics tubs, helix machines, a multi-purpose weight machine, and more. Come and train like an elite champion with us at Porter High Performance Center. For more information, contact us on social media at Porter High Performance and through former world champion at Showtime Sean P. Are you an entrepreneur looking to find out where to start or develop a business plan? Are you looking to start a business or grow your business revenue? Are you a business owner that needs fresh new ideas or needs to solve challenges with strategy, marketing, or process? Red Beach Advisors is a management consulting group focused on helping entrepreneurs, startups, and companies build, grow, and scale. Contact Red Beach Advisors at info at redbeachadvisors.com or 424-247-6143. Red Beach Advisors helps companies build, grow, and scale through strategy, process, systems, and people. We are the experts. Contact us at 424-247-6143 or www.redbeachadvisors.com. WBC World Boxing Cares is a nonprofit charitable organization composed of compassionate volunteers under the guidance of the WBC. By sending world-class athletes into youth centers, hospitals, and orphanages, we bring a message of hope and inspiration to the children and their families, as well as donations appropriate for that particular institution and or event. World Boxing Cares is active in 164 countries under the WBC sanctioning umbrella. Look us up online at worldboxingcares.com and connect with us today. Big champions supporting little champions. All right, we are back. And I 
that RB is going to dish us a little word on the curb. Yes. All right. We're a little bit past the 9 a.m. mark, but that's okay. we got a bunch of word on the curb. If you do want to play Know It or Blow It, brought to you by theboxinginsider.com, we could probably squeeze you in. It's a really simple question today. Um, so if you press 1 right now, we know that you want to play some Know It or Blow It. Okay. Word on the curb is? Uh, Danny Jacobs versus Andy Lee on the Wilder Ortiz November 4th part. You know, Danny Jacobs is a Brooklyn kid. He needs a fight before the end of the year, and they're trying to make the fight between him and Andy Lee, so stay tuned for that. Some more word on the curb is we saw Adrian Broner all over Las Vegas, and me and Jay were like, why is he in the media center? Why is he all up in Golden Boy's business and in their in their stuff? And, I mean, usually a fighter from across the street really isn't allowed to do interviews in the media center and, and kind of be around as much as he was around, especially behind the scenes. Word on the curb is he's been talking to Golden Boy about a potential showdown with Lucas Matisse for sometime in early 2018. Um, also, there are some word on the curb that they are also talking about Broner versus Omar Figueroa. So that's the word on the curb about Adrian Broner. Word on the curb, Richard Schaefer is not happy with Al Heyman. He thought he was going to stroll back into boxing, get right back in with Al, get right back on, right back on Showtime, and it's been like, nah, son, that's, that's really not what's good. So Heyman is pretty much like, look, the World Boxing Super Series, that's your thing, bro. Like, that's your thing. And word is that Richard's not happy. He thought that it was going to land on Showtime. It didn't. Um, he, he's struggling with a lot of things. And word on the curb is he's even reaching out to other promoters to begin maybe working with them in the future. So, whoo, that's some tea. Um, some other word on the curb is James Kirkland was supposed to headline October 19th at the Monte Carlo in Las Vegas. And now he's out. He pulled out the fight. He is consistently unreliable. He is consistently very some tiny. So we're on the curb is now that Gabe Rosado versus Glenn Tapia will headline October 19th on uh, ESPN. ESPN Deportes, they'll be the new main event. So more word on the curb. Terrence Crawford will not be fighting this calendar year, but he will be back super early in 2018, like January, February, super early. So probably, well, not probably, not going to squeeze him in by the end of 2017, but it'll be first thing 2018 he'll be back word on the curb Earl Spence is now being targeted to return in December it went from October to November to now we're pushing him into December in New York no way is Keith Thurman returning this year but that is the mega fight that everybody wants to make next year later 2018 would be Earl Spence versus Keith Thurman so Earl Spence is uh, pushed back into December and it looks like Miguel Cotto's farewell fight is going to go is going to go down in December, also in New York at the Madison Square Garden. A lot going on in New York this winter. If you look at November and December, almost every week, every other week, there is a show either at the Garden or at Barclays. So New York, get your coins up, get your paper up. Lots of fights coming out there to New York. And I think that is all I've got for the word on the curb this week, Jay. Yeah, New Yorkers, get ready. It's fight time. It's getting cool. Get your Tims out. Yep. It's that time of year. Um, we went through the weekend fight schedule already. Just to add on to the uh, card, the WB, the w, the World Boxing Super Series card that's happening down in San Antonio. Once again, I'll just complete that one. Junior Dordacos versus Dimitri 
Kadrashov for Dordacosa's WBA regular cruiserweight title. Uh, also on the card, Nonito Donaire will be facing off against Ruben Garcia Hernandez, and Keith Tapia will face again uh, face off against Latif Coyote. Hmm, where do they find him? And across the pond on integrated sports pay-per-view, Joseph Parker versus Fury Fury for Parker's WBO heavyweight title. And that concludes the weekend fight schedule. Another busy week. Usually after a pay-per-view weekend, the fight schedule falls off a little bit, but boxing is bubbling and bustling to close out the year strong in the last quarter. So stand on your local listings to find those great events. I will be in Tucson this weekend at the Oscar Valdez Cervania card and the Ramirez Hart on the co-feature. Ramirez Hart, that's the fight. That's the fight. I feel like this fight is make it or break it for each one of these guys. If Jesse Hart wins, it, it'll be huge for him. It'll be huge for the city of Philadelphia. Such a great sports city. I can see big fights and him defending his title there. That's a really big card. If anybody listening lives in Arizona, then you need to get down to Tucson. You know, it's two guys defending their belts, world championship boxing on ESPN. We don't get that often in Arizona. So when we do, we got to come out. We got to show out and we got to show, you know, just the boxing world that we got strong fans here. And they're really going to try to build Valdez here. He's got strong ties in Tucson. He grew up there. His childhood is there. He's got family there. So um, expect a really, really good card. But, man, that co-main event is what got me really intrigued. Jay, has anybody pressed one to play any know it or blow it? If not, we're going to wrap up. We got somebody. We do have a brave soul that's going to play know it or blow it, so let me go ahead and pick the person up. 773, you're on with RBN. Who is this and where are you calling from? This is Jason from Chicago. Good, magnificent Monday morning. Hi, Jason from Chicago. Good How morning. Are you? are you ready? Good morning. Are you ready to play some Know It or Blow It? Is that why you were calling? Um, oh, I'm ready. Fire it up. All right. All right. So Know It or Blow It is brought to you by TheBoxingInsider.com. Very easy question today. We're going to give you 10 seconds on the clock. Only 10 seconds because it is easy. Um, so in order to win a signed boxing glove by Mike Tyson, you need to name us one current fighter from Canada. One active current fighter from Canada. Go. Mm. Man. You know what? This, <laughs> one That's per- a tough this one. Goes- I drew a blank. All right. Well, we've got Adonis Stevenson from Canada. Okay. Oh. David, David Lemieux. <laughs> But you know what, Jason from Chicago, I know you're a big boxing fan, but that just goes to show people that Adonis Stevenson is not as big as what everybody claims him to be. He, uh, Anyway, but all right, Jason from Chicago, thanks for playing. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, you know what? I was going through, I'm like, yeah. man, Canada, I could have gave you Mexico, something real good. But <laughs> Canada, I just threw the blank right there. I was That's going okay. to Shumanov, Stoker, looking for all kind of crazy <laughs> Going through the S, but thank you. All, all right. right. Have a good thank one. You. All right, Jay, I think we're done. I think to, um, we could wrap it up. Today's show is brought to you by TheBoxingInsider.com, John Francis Agency, Porter High Performance Center, Nationwide Auto Warranties.com, 
Champs Boxing Club, War Tape Brand, Bernie's Boxing, Red Beach Advisors, and the WBC Cares. Make sure you visit backculture.net, ragingbabe.com. We appreciate you for listening today. Um, Jay, as always, thank you for always being amazing. Catch us here next Monday from 8 to 9. It's the Morning punch Show. We out. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.